Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the jazz session is also available for free in iTunes or at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to purchase the albums heard on the show, and that also gives a little back to the show. You'll also find a donate button there if you'd like to support the show directly. The show is free. You don't have to do it, but if you'd like to, I'd certainly appreciate it. There's also a mailing list and a Facebook group and a Twitter feed and all that good stuff, and you can sign up for any or all of those things at thejazzsession.com. My guest today is Sam Satagursky, a multi-instrumentalist, uh, mostly in the, the kind of Reed Woodwind family. He's released three albums now on his Words Project series, the most recent of which is called Miniatures. And this is uh, Sam's setting of various uh, primarily contemporary poems to music. Um, and it's not your typical jazz and poetry combination. This is something that uh, strikes very dear uh, to my heart. Uh, I will... Uh, selfishly tell you that if you visit jasoncrane.org, one of my other sites, uh, you'll find a bunch of uh, my poetry there and, and commentary on other people's poetry. And uh, my own first collection of poetry is, is coming out in 2010. So uh, the combination of poetry, uh, which I really love, with improvised music, which I really love, uh, was guaranteed to get me. And uh, Sam's albums are, are all top quality. Uh, here is uh, the opening track from Miniatures. I should be content, 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 I should be My guest is multi-instrumentalist composer Sam Satagursky. He has released now the third in a series of albums that combine poetry and improvised music, and in a way slightly different than you might expect when you hear poetry and jazz put together. Uh, first of all, it's my pleasure to welcome Sam to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. I uh, I really love all three of these records. Uh, these really hit me right where I live, both in the, the improvised music sphere, and uh, I'm a huge uh, fan of poetry, and 
uh, I think what you've done here is is really fascinating. And I hope maybe we could start off by talking about uh, how you approached uh, setting these poems, why it even occurred to you to take existing text and, and create music around it. Um, it was not something I really planned on doing or thought about much. I was just playing with... Um, some singers here in New York and wanted to write material for the groups that we were playing in. And um, so many singers are writing kind of wordless material now, and I thought it would be good to write some vocal material with words. And um, just wasn't feeling up to writing lyrics myself. Now, I have read uh, in your own writing that uh, poetry was not something you were really uh, kind of a lifelong reader of, um, but it seems like something you've you've taken to heart uh, pretty quickly. How did you decide out of all the poetry that's out there uh, who it was you were going to, to set? It was kind of a blind search at first. Um, I had heard of a few poets, and I checked them out, and um, there are just so many great websites that I ended up finding. And uh, I think the first works that I did were by the Polish poet um, Czesław Milos. And um, his work actually is really typical, I think, of the kind of poetry that I like to set. There's a certain directness there, and it's not... His poetry isn't overly dense. I think the ideas are very, very challenging and complex, but the, the words themselves, I think, can be grasped on the first listen. And uh, I think it's, it's easy if you take a work that's overly dense to, for it to just become saturated very quickly once you add music to it. And so his, his work uh, actually was just kind of a launching point, and I actually went on to sort of research work. Um, my parents actually are both immigrants from the Soviet Union, and um, poetry is a really vital part of Russian culture. And so I went on to actually... Uh, try to find some some uh, books by Russian poets, and there ended up being a work by Mandelstam and a book, uh, work by Svetaeva on the first record as well as a result of that. In the deep stillness resounds, resounds the dry knocking of an idiotic hammer. One, two, three, ten, twenty strokes. Don't be all the amorous croaking 
once uh, talked to uh, bassist Steve Swallow, who did a, a couple records based on the work of Robert Creeley, one in which he set Creeley's music uh, as lyrics and another in which Creeley read over Swallow's compositions. And um, Steve Swallow said that when he uh, read or listened to Creeley read his poetry, it suggested very obvious rhythmic devices. And I wonder, um, in your own experience with setting this poetry, whether the words suggested the music uh, in some cases or whether they kind of evolved independently of one another, or maybe it's a combination. Um, no, they tend to evolve together. Um, I don't really plan my, my work out much in terms of form or, or style or anything. Generally, just I, I sit and uh, I just kind of live with the poem until some sort of turn of phrase or something is suggested. Now, once in a while, I do have an existing musical idea that I do try to incorporate, but most of the time, they, they evolve together. I mean, there, there's definitely a rhythmic aspect, and I also, I think we all use sort of tonal elements when we speak um, to varying degree, and I also try to uh, incorporate those into my writing. You mean changes in pitch when we speak and things like that? Yeah, exactly. And so when you say you live with a poem until something suggests itself, what do you what do you mean by the word live in that sense? Um, really I just I keep a notebook where I write down poems that I come across that I think I might want to work with someday. And when it comes to write, I just sort of put that notebook on my piano and thumb through it. And, uh, you know, I really don't study a poem that much before I start writing it. In fact, um, a number of these poems, I'm still sort of contemplating what they, what they really mean. And, um, I think poetry, like, like music, uh, sometimes that, that can take a long time in many readings or listenings before you really grasp something. With these poems, yeah, I, I just sort of follow my my musical instincts with them. There have been a few, I think, where where I've had a particularly musical intention that's been pretty apparent going in. Like there's there's a piece called In the Kitchen on the first record about somebody basically alone sitting in their kitchen and all these um, items in their kitchen sort of come to life and take on or are sort of personified in some way. And um, so, you know, I, I wanted to imbue that with a certain playfulness, and that ended up being kind of a tango feel. But oftentimes, yeah, I really don't think about um, what, the, what the end result is, and I just kind of start writing. And that was actually the source of a lot of the pieces for Words Project 3, because so many of those pieces are not really jazz-oriented pieces. And um, so they were things that I just kind of written whimsically, that um, had accumulated, and finally, when I had this chance to do a sort of more produced record, uh, which Words Project Three is, we recorded it over the over the span of eleven months or, or even a year. Um, I used all of that material. Yeah. 
say that uh even the first even the first two records i mean all three records contain elements uh, to, at least to my ear of improvisation and occasional sections where a soloist steps to the fore in one way or another um but none of them really harken back to uh, i guess what you know kind of the 50s poetry and jazz thing which i'm also a big fan of but which was really much more about the music serving as kind of a like a hip background bed for the poet who was absolutely the out front voice. Um, mm-hmm. Was that, uh, is that just something that is not, that is not part of your nature or was never the point of this project in the first place? This seems much more, uh, you know, kind of art song like than it does like that 50s poetry and jazz combination. Yeah, definitely. There's, uh, each of the Words Project records ha- does have one spoken word piece on it. Um, but the rest, yeah, yeah, I do approach much more. It's kind of an art song. Or I try to think of the way sort of a composer would work with a lyricist um, and actually do try to fashion songs. And in terms of the solos on these records, um, they're, not, they're not incidental. I mean, they, they definitely work into the composition, but I, I do try to really work them into the composition as a whole. So none of it is sort of, you know, you, know, you never get the feeling of head, solo head, that you so often get with jazz and um i definitely didn't want to create anything where um the the poem is sung for say a minute and then you have 10 minutes of soloing and then it comes back to that i did really want to keep the 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 poems that i use very very central to to the finished product now that you've had uh, in the case uh, of of many of these compositions a few years to to sit with them are and also with the the texts that form their basis uh, have you kind of reinterpreted any of the text in a way that makes you think oh this music really this is not what i thought this poem was about or not what i think it's now about and you've changed the way you might have approached the music um hmm that's that's an interesting question actually there was uh with with your, which is on Words Project One, which is actually one of the spoken ones, um, I didn't know until just until we went in to record it that it was it's sort of a veiled uh, examination of um, a woman's experience of pregnancy, 
and all the sort of excitement and anticipation of that. And um, thankfully, it ended up not being the case, but originally I was supposed to have a male read that because it, it read, to me, that poem, um, if you don't know that, just reads so much like a love letter of a sort, and I was actually going to have it read by a male. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, I realized before recording uh, what the poem was actually about, and Monica Heidemann ends up ends up reading that. And that's one of the, you know, sort of that's the only spoken word one. Onwards, Project One. Um, but uh, I think, thankfully, it's worked out. But it's uh, like I said before. I think so many of these poems, I've, I'm just sort of realizing what they're about, and uh, and even though I wrote the music around them without a really specific intention. Um, I think there have um, been really, really beautiful connections. Yeah, it seems like uh, it seems like the music is, is less programmatic than might be suggested by kind of writing it around these poems. They seem to be more kind of equal parts of a whole, the music and the words, rather than the music necessarily serving some narrative goal in the poetry. I hope so. I don't... See, I, I really try to avoid um, putting too strong of um, an imprint on any of these. I still want the listener to, to have their own experience with it and not really box the poem in in any sort and turn it into something that it's not. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think really great works of poetry, um, like great music, can really strike you differently um, Every time you listen to it, and some, sometimes a piece of music might be totally heartbreaking, and if you're in a different frame of mind, the next day it can be totally exhilarating or uplifting. And um, and so I hope my musical settings don't still still leave room for that. I guess. Sam, can you talk about some of the people you've enlisted uh, to sing uh, these uh, these art songs? Um, absolutely. Um, on the first record, um, Monica Heidemann and Heather Massey and Becca Stevens and Noam Weinstein um, all sing. And uh, they just have very, very different voices and different approaches. And um, I, I really liked sort of uh, putting them side by side and, and bringing those things out. I think they all have as singers could have taken on all of the material. Um, but I really loved just um, the unique qualities that each, that each brought to the material. Like Heather, Heather Massey, for example, just has such a deep and throaty and sort of lush voice, um, whereas Becca Stevens has um, a more sort of pure, youthful voice. Monica Heidemann has always really knocked me out um, with her very sort of understated and subdued ability to deliver um, her vocals. And yeah, actually on the new record there are nine singers. Um, and so uh, yeah, each each one seems to get less and less practical. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a nice progression. <laughs> So is the is the fact that there are nine singers is that uh, a factor of recording it over the course of a year or did you 
you heard something different for each piece, and so you needed someone different to sing it. Yeah, absolutely. I, definitely the latter. Um, I just love um, the different things that, that all these singers bring. It's a strange courage you give me, ancient star. Shine along in the sunrise, towards which you play no part. It's a strange courage you give me, ancient Were most of the folks who are singing on uh, on miniatures the third CD in the series? Were those people that uh, obviously the ones from the previous records you'd worked with before? But were the others people with whom you had worked, or just folks you had heard and and thought you'd like to include in the project? Um, no, definitely people I'd worked with in some form or another. And over the years, I've actually there are a lot of been a lot of singers who have just sort of um, that we've gotten together and just read through the stuff together. Um, my material. I mean, I have several records worth more of material lying around, and and um, one of the limitations of of writing music like this and not being a real singer is uh, I really I need to enlist other people anytime I want to hear my work. So I've been really really fortunate to have these uh, uh, you know ambitious and open-minded singers here in New York who are willing to come read through this stuff. Sam, I'm interested to know uh, what the reception of this music is like um, in two places. One, in uh, what might be considered a more typical jazz setting, if you had a chance to perform it there. And then uh, the other side would be, have you had a chance to perform this in front of uh, any poetry audiences? And if so, what the reception's been like there? Uh, I haven't had the chance to perform in front of a strictly poetry audience. Um, but obviously, with all the living poets, I've had to go through the process of actually getting their permission to use the work. Um, and so far, all my experiences with them have been very, very positive. Um, I think poets, uh, you know, like, like jazz musicians, are kind of uh, on the sidelines in our culture. And so I think they've been 
they've been very thrilled that um, to have somebody giving attention to their work, and and I hope that you know, in a, in a small way, I'm actually bringing new audiences to their work through working with this stuff. Um, I think it's you, you walk a fine line doing this stuff because um, these poems are complete works by themselves. They they don't need anything in order to thrive. And uh, so when when you said it, you really you have to respect that. And uh, and that's tough. And I think there are some poets who are totally opposed to any musical setting of their work. And that's something that I do respect, actually. And in terms of performing this stuff in traditional jazz settings, um, there's been some of that. And I actually... I have a lot of more sort of jazz-oriented material that um, Christine Correa has been singing the past few years, and eventually I would like to record that stuff. But um, it's it's difficult to find the right venues um, which to do this because it's not it's not music that you can really listen to casually. I think it needs to really be listened to closely. And um, a lot of jazz clubs tend to be sort of supper club oriented or something like that. And um, I don't think it fits that setting very well. The espresso machine and the cash register and the phone and the glasses clinking don't really don't, exactly. don't assist the material. No. Exactly. <laughs> and and I think and any time you have a singer involved, you really need a good PA system in order for the singer to sound good. And that's that's another limitation. Um, in terms of performing this stuff, Sam, what else? Uh, what else are you involved with? What else is on your your plate these days? Um, I'm performing in a lot of different groups in the New York area. Um, I'm performing with Darcy James Argue's Secret Society, which is uh, getting very busy over the past year. And I perform with a number of Latin groups, Folklore Urbano and La Cumbiamba NAA, and a little bit with Edmar Castaneda. And, um, let's see, oh, with a, with a really great Argentinian pianist composer, Emilio Tubal. A variety of other things. It's, uh, you know, and I think one of the ways, I think one of the things that really contributed towards Project 3 and makes it special for me is I was really able to kind of bring people into play on the record um, from so many different scenes that I'm a part of here in New York, and uh, and I think I think the music is influenced also just by um, all the things that that I do here and that I'm exposed to. Do me that love as a tree tree where birds and i 
you talk about uh, Michael Lenhart's uh, contribution to this album? Absolutely. Um, he sort of uh, lit the spark that, that got this, this recording started. I had a number of songs for male vocalists that I'd written over the years that I'd never really found the right vocalist for. And um, I called Michael up to see if he'd ever be interested in reading through this, these things. And he has actually a recording studio. And I met him there, and um, sort of the way he is, he just kind of hit the record button. And we... And he was so enthusiastic about the material that immediately we sort of embarked on the record. Um, and this while him and his wife actually had a baby during those during that same year. So um, it was a very, very busy year for him. But um, he's a great singer and multi-instrumentalist, and I think, I think there's, we discovered a real sort of kinship between the two of us, I think, because we're both influenced by so many different kinds of music and involved in so many different kinds of music. And we both play a lot of instruments, um, we're able to do really create so many um, sound worlds, I guess, on this record um, with just the two of us and just bringing in a few people here and there. But um, yeah, it was it was a really great partnership. And is it useful in a setting like this to have? someone whose ears are really dedicated to the project as a whole and not just someone who's coming in to play on this track or that track, but someone who's really conceiving of it as a, as an entire recording? Um, absolutely. I think I mostly took on that role over the course of this. I think I would have had no idea how to, how to basically accomplish a lot of these, these textures that we got. And, uh, you know, for example, a piece like Tears... Uh, I sort of, that's basically four soprano saxophones and a voice singing over it. And I came in with that idea, but I think it was Michael who really had the experience to make it happen and make it work. This record, it's, none of the pieces are really jazz oriented in the traditional sense, and there are very few things, there are very few mo things in it that I would actually call solos, but I think Michael and I both having a jazz background. I think, um, and mo most of the people who came in and recorded also have that background in the way that none of it was ever rehearsed or really that planned um, gives the record um, the feel of a jazz record. Well, whatever it is, I have to say, uh, I, I love all three of these records. They're really, uh, really, really fun to listen to. Uh, they, they reward repeated listening and... Uh... I've I've thoroughly enjoyed them. Uh, I commend them to people's attention. They are uh, Sam Sadagursky's Words Project uh, CDs. Uh, the no, most recent one is number three, which is called Miniatures, uh, on the new Amsterdam label. Uh, Sam, it's been a real pleasure talking to you about these records, and uh, I thank you so much for coming on the show, and I hope you'll come back again. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. My pleasure.
That's music from Sam Satagursky and uh, the newest volume, volume three of his Words Project series. This one is called Miniatures. I'm Jason Crane. You are listening to The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free anytime you want it at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. There's a donate button at the jazz session if you uh, want to give a little back to the show. The show's free. You don't have to do it, but uh, if you feel like the show's giving you something and you want to give a little cash back, that would be great. Also, if you purchase the albums heard on the show via the Amazon links that are included on the website for uh, the notes for each show, that also gives a little back to the jazz session. My thanks to the members of the Respect Sextet for recording the theme music to this program. You'll find them online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the logo for the jazz session. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.